You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we head to Viva Las Vegas as Sean Connery returns to the James Bond role in 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 13 yeah. of the Bonzilla Podcast. The next episode yes. of the Bonzilla Podcast. Well, no, I think numbers are good. Yeah. Having numbers, yeah. you know, make it feel like we're actually a series of movies. Well, we are here to talk about another Bond episode coming off the fresh news that uh, Daniel Craig has confirmed that he will be turning for yeah. one last uh, Bond adventure, at least, or as of now, one last Bond adventure. So as I was setting up, I couldn't remember if we had talked about that last time. But what we had talked about last time was that they were just going to do another one. Yeah, but it, Craig it, was, wasn't. it wasn't confirmed that okay. Craig. And, and yeah. as of this episode, it's rumored that they're talking to Beyonce to do the title song for the next <laughs> Bond movie. So Everybody loves Beyonce now. Apparently. So it's like, Well, I, they've always loved Beyonce. Yeah, but. indeed. And it'll be cool because it's like, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of, what was that last one, Spectre. So go out on a high note, Daniel Yeah, I'm just hoping that it is indeed one more because, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get to it, you know, a year or so down the line when we get to talking about Craig. But, you know, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready for... A new Bond, but in this episode, we're yeah, actually going let's talk back. about a Bond leaving on a high note, quote unquote, question mark. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about today, 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. Di- uh, Diamonds Are Forever. 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 Uh, based on the fourth James Bond novel by Ian Fleming. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to talk about it? Uh, I don't think I have a choice. I think yeah. we have to. talk You could about walk it. away if you want. I mean, we could. I'm, I'm, I'm just All right, talk. here I go. I could just, I could just uh, talk about it that way for a little go. bit. Uh, no, coming back. Forgot my headphones, but ah, <laughs> uh, now I don't want to get, get, I don't want to get up. back up. So, all right, so we'll talk about this. All right, so of course we're gonna talk about the development of this motion picture. Sure. All right. Now, all right. So, uh, Lazenby back as James Bond. Another adventure. He walked away, but now he's back, right? That's uh, You're kind of close. <laughs> uh, it's actually the other fellow who's back. Whoa. Sean Connery. Uh, Whoa. We got some that never st- happened to the other fellow. Yeah. We got to get some stuff out of the way before we get oh, to okay. Connery. Right. So now we're in 1970. Uh, Last yes, has left the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. And once again, the Bond producers are back at square one. Mm-hmm. So they're at, again at a blank slate trying to figure out what exactly they're going to do. And since they felt, you know, that... Even though it did make money, that Honor Majesty's Secret Service was less of a success than they had hoped. Uh, and since that film was trying to get back to the real grittiness of something like From Russia with Love, they decided to go kind of the opposite way and, and try to recapture the magic of Goldfinger, which mm-hmm. was kind of a little bit more, you know, had a little more of that camp, a little bit more of that over the topness to it to mm-hmm. an extent, uh, and was still considered to be. Uh, the most popular of the Bond movies, both critically and in uh, re-releases uh, financially. So they decided to get back to that Goldfinger ideal. That's what they were gunning for in mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, so they did ask Peter Hunt to return, but he said that he had done his Bond movie and he had accomplished his goal and he wanted to move on to other things. So instead they got back Mr. Guy Hamilton. Ah, Mr. Guy Hamilton. 
wanted the rights to the Bond franchise. He, he had been away since Callback. Goldfinger, and after Goldfinger said that he, you know, was didn't have any more to offer. But in the in the years since Goldfinger, he he reflected fondly on his time on the Bond franchise. Kind of missed the fun. And the camaraderie that he had on that set, so he decided that it was time for him to return to the uh, Bond director's chair. Mm. Uh, so how noble of him! Um, so when they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do for this movie, one of the things they did note is that the the continued success of Bond films for American audiences, mm-hmm. and so they decided for this film uh, to go all in on that. So they chose Diamonds Are Forever since it had a primarily American setting in Las Vegas. Well, let me let me pause right there. I'm just I'm just going to pause. Okay. No, uh, it, it is interesting because you 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 saying that kind of uh, ignited a synapse in my brain about like uh, appealing to an American audience, yeah. which is strange in the sense of like you know this is all about like British intelligence and you know James Bond is a British, uh, for lack of a better term, super. A hero icon mm-hmm. in, in cinema, but it's so funny because uh, you know the American audiences like there really isn't that much of a disconnect between the fact that like here's a British centered character as opposed to on our other side we talk about Godzilla, which is there is the big culture mm-hmm. barrier between like the Japanese version and the English version, so you don't ever really think of James Bond being. Uh, like that foreign, I guess, if you you know yeah. what I mean. So it seems kind of funny that it's like, well, let's appeal to Americans. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so with this in mind, they went to their normal screenwriter, Richard Maybaum, and t- gave him these kind of directions. We're going to do Diamonds Are Forever. We're going to really focus on the American aspect of, of, the, of the script, and we want to really recapture the Goldfinger magic. That doesn't sound like a good Hollywood executive <laughs> no, voice. No, it doesn't. No, no, no! You got to do it. No, but but th- remember, this is Cubby Broccoli. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so does he? Is he like a little bit more sheepish? Yeah. He's like, like he's like we gotta we gotta get back to the. What are you, Mickey Mouse? We gotta get back to the to the to the core of the character. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. Uh, yeah. But but Maybaum took that a little too literally mm-hmm. because his the script that he originally turned in the villain was gonna be Goldfinger's twin brother. And were they just going to get back the yes. same actor? Yeah, so his idea back? was that he was going to get Goldfinger's twin brother and get Gert Froh back to, to get revenge on Bond, <laughs> since it's clearly Goldfinger <laughs> died in that movie. And Covey and uh, Saltzman looked at this and were like, oh, we're going to have to go. So it's it, And then that script became Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to go in a bit of a direction. So they were trying to figure out exactly what they wanted to do. And it came to Covey Broccoli in a dream. Mm-hmm. Where he was uh, going to see an old friend, Mr. Howard Hughes. Oh, hello, Mr. Hughes. Well, hello, Mr. Mr. Bradley. Uh, but uh, he he saw Hughes in a window of his uh, hotel room, and when he went up to him, he found that he, Hughes was an imposter. It wasn't actually. Wait Howard a minute! Hughes. You're you're not Howard Hughes. No, I'm not, Mr. Broccoli. So uh, that was kind of the basis, this idea of something to do with kind of imposters and 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 impersonating uh, famous people. Uh, which you know very loosely sure kind of, yeah and <laughs> very loosely <laughs> but they decided now that they um wanted to get wait a minute it took him a dream to come up with the idea of imposters for a franchise centered around spies <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah that's just, he had a dream and he accomplished it sometimes what you're looking for is Right, right, in front, right in front of you the whole right time. Right in front of you the whole time. <laughs> um, 
So they decided to hire um, an American screenwriter as well to work with Richard because, as to quote Cubby, British screenwriters can never write American gangsters. And okay. All right. So he was looking for an American screenwriter that could really capture that, but also keep the British sensibility of kind of the British idiom of it all. Yeah. And so they found a man named Tom Mankiewicz um, who had written some British themed films for Hollywood, had a, had a hit play on Broadway and they immediately clicked. And so he would, we was hired for the writing of the, and what, what's this guy's name? Tom Mankiewicz. Okay. Let me think. Yo, I'm Tom Mankiewicz. Okay, that's going to be my Tom Mankiewicz, Tom Mankiewicz voice. voice. Yeah. Uh, but the main thing now, they had a script, they had an idea, but now they needed another Bond. Yeah. And while they did consider some British actors, Michael Gambon was uh, oh, really? considered... Uh, Dumbledore, yes. right? Yeah. But uh, Gambon said that he didn't want to take the role because he was way out of shape and really didn't feel like getting into shape at that point so, in his career. It's honest. But that is uh, the excuse I use uh, every day. The main I'm always offered the Bond role. I yeah. treat every day as if I'm off uh, as Gabon being offered the Bond role. So they wanted to again they were pushing for this American Bond. So they were planning on actually casting an American Bond. An American Bond. That sounds that's a good title right there. That sounds like a title of like one of the makings of the books, An, an American, American Bond. <laughs> Can't wait to go to the, uh, get my American Bond doll. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the first people they asked for the role was another one of Cubby's good friends. Oh, my God. TV's uh-uh. Adam West. Uh, what? Are you telling me we almost got Adam West, 60s Batman, as a Bond? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> why, why? This is not a just world. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know there's way other more serious bad things that happen in the world that prove that. But this, yeah. this is at least number 10. Wes would say that he did consider uh, the offer, but he felt in his heart of hearts that Bond should be a British man. Well, old chum. <laughs> My name's Bond. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> so he uh, turned down the role, but very much appreciated the offer in that very Adam West way. Wait, Adam West turned down the role? Yes. <laughs> no. Oh, yes. all right. Um, they also considered Burt Reynolds, um, but Burt was unavailable at the time. and Wouldn't later, shave the mustache, I yeah. assume. Yeah. <laughs> and later said that he also felt that Bond should be British, and he felt he wouldn't have fit okay. the Bond uh, aesthetic. So Adam and, and Burt. Bert really felt together on that. Bond mm-hmm. should be a British person. But they did end up signing uh, a man named John Gavin, who had been most famous for his role in uh, kind of the second leading male role in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho about okay. a decade earlier. Um, he was signed to a three-picture deal to play James Bond. And it seemed like everything was going smoothly forward for this film. Uh, but U- United Artists was not so sure. Uh, they kind of looked at what happened with Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and they were convinced that they needed to get Sean Connery back. So despite the fact that Eon Productions signed John Gavin, United Artists put out the feelers to see if Sean might be interested, and the buzz back was that Sean might be interested in coming back for one more Bond picture. Would that buzzing be the sign of uh, some ching ching? Would that would that, that would be a part of it. Would yes. that be the buzzing? Uh, so eventually, there was a deal. There were dealings in place to offer Sean Connery 
a $1.25 million for the role of Bond, which mm-hmm. na- seems like now chump change for actors. But at the time, it was still a big deal that like an actor was getting over a million dollars for like a single movie. You know what the scenario is? It's it's the Robert Downey Jr. of its time, mm-hmm. like in terms of Marvel having to re-up on Downey's, you know, the movies he was in. And because they didn't know that, that the Marvel franchise was going to be as big as it was, they're like... All right, well now now we got to spend way more money than we initially thought to yeah. get this guy it to is, stay on board. Stay yeah. on board. So, um, there were worries from United Artists that there were still might be tensions between Connery and Saltzman and uh, Broccoli. Mm-hmm. So instead, they sent a middleman, or should I say, middlewoman, to help with the negotiations. <laughs> He's not actually James Bond. Um, what are you doing? Uh, they sent uh, the, the former Honey Rider, Ursula Andress, to uh, to give the offer to okay. Sean Connery. All right. Um, so they have a they eventually agreed to that deal one to one point two five million dollars with a couple other provisions in his deal. Mm-hmm. One is that uh, United Artists would allow Connery to develop. Any two films of his choosing with the company. Okay. Uh, and the other is that during the production of uh, Diamonds Are Forever, he would have at least one day a week mm-hmm. to go golfing. Okay. And that was Fair. that was the uh, to deal. Um, the one of the main reasons that Connery said that he took the this this deal and to to come back for one Bond movie after his poor experience on You Only Live Twice was that he wanted to donate a large sum of his money to the Scottish Educational Trust Fund, which was a fund to uh, give money to Scottish artists and filmmakers who decided to stay in Scotland to make their art. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he did donate a large sum of money uh, to that fund. And yes, like like I said, so, so so yes, so that deal was made, but, you know, John Gavin was still signed. Mm -hmm. So Covey said he called gavin and said we got sean connery back and there's no way we can't go with that but we're still going to pay you the entirety of the contract oh that you my signed God, <laughs> could you imagine oh wow so he still got the full extent of the contract all three the all money he would have made on all three pictures that he wouldn't have done mm. for the franchise lucky him but uh yeah well, lucky him i mean he made money I but mean, he was almost about he to would be continue Bond. to be a successful actor and yeah. he actually ended up being uh the ambassador to mexico under ronald reagan so, okay so good for him but i you know but that's like one of those things like if your life does not go good after that you know that's the type of thing where you're like i was almost james bond yeah <laughs> and i took the devil's money <laughs> <laughs> Um, so long story short, they want to make another Bond movie. United Artists is like, but we need back. I had to get my my yeah, producer. They're, they're an American there. company. So yeah. we're, we're. United Artists is like, it's like you know we like the direction, but we need Sean Connery. Give him his golf days. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there was that. You know, there was still the worry that Connery was still going to have issues. Was he going to be into it? Right. That whole thing. Right. Uh, but Connery was very professional on set. Uh, Tom Mankiewicz. Uh, said that he had a script meeting with with Mr. Connery, and Connery, he said, gave notes on everybody else's dialogue but his own. Mm-hmm. That he was more concerned with making sure the script and the movie had a good feeling to it than like his own ego, right. uh, which was 
very interesting. Yeah. Uh, considering <laughs> what else you hear about Mr. Connery, but 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 uh, Guy also ha- interesting considering what the movie turned out to be. Yeah. Which uh, ha- I mean, Hamilton <laughs> and, and Mankiewicz both loved working with Connery. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Uh, and he had, uh, whereas on You Only Live Twice, he had visible issues with uh, Cubby and uh, Harry Saltzman. This one, he had no issues with the producers. What mm-hmm. uh, might be other some kind of stuff we'll get to. But in is, a is that is that a little bit because of it's more you're dealing with? I mean, at this point, they've got to be dealing with a completely different group of people, other than like the core group, like Broccoli and all of them. Yeah, I mean, like with United Artists and, yeah, it's, and it's everything. That, yeah, it's that. I I just think that like I think it was more so the fact too that. The Connery at the end of You Only Live Twice was someone who was coming off, like, you know, five straight Bond pictures and kind of this steady kind of, like, I want to get out of here. Right. This one, he's like, in his head, he's like, I'm just doing one more, right. donating money. And, it's, and it's let's fun. be honest, he has a position of power yeah. this time, So too. I think I think yeah. he's just a little more calmer. I think it comes across in the film, too. He gives a much better performance here yeah. Yeah, th- yeah. than he does in You Only Live Twice. Uh, that's true. So with that, we'll, we can get to the rest of the casting, as we usually do in this segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our Bond women for this film. Oh, sure. Uh, Jill St. John as Tiffany Case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lana Wood as Plenty O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Her name's got to be Plenty. I'm sure that's something that Guy <laughs> Hamilton said. Um, we already used pussy. What's better, Plenty? <laughs> uh, so, actually, Jill St. John. Was her name Plenty of pussy at first? And they're like, Guy, it, you can't use you can't pussy keep, again. You can't keep using that. You can't double down on the pussy. Plenty is <laughs> enough. <laughs> plenty is plenty. All right? We'll give you plenty. <laughs> We're not giving you pussy, which is funny because the word pussy ends up in the movie anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Jill St. John was originally cast as uh, the uh, Plenty O'Toole character, but her screen test was so impressive that the producers decided to put her in the role of uh, Tiffany. Uh, but Plenty was, or sorry, not Plenty. I mean, that's her name. Laura, Lana Wood mm-hmm. was uh, a friend of Tom Mankiewicz. So he... Uh, Knew she was a big fan of the Bond books. She read all of Ian, Ian Fleming's work, so he got her cast in this movie. Uh, but uh, Jill St. John and Lana Wood would actually have a big rivalry and a big feud that would evolve from this movie. One, because, allegedly, Sean slept with both of them differently <laughs> at the same time. So there's that. But also, in just a weird connection, Lana Wood was the sister of Natalie Wood. Uh, right, yeah. Who would end up having a famous, mysterious drowning death where Jill St. John married Natalie Wood's widowed husband, mm-hmm. and Lana was not happy with that. So mm-hmm. that would be a big kind of weird connection that they were both in this movie, and that would happen to them later down the line. I just thought it was worth kind of mentioning that kind of little weird little tidbit, because that's like kind of what this whole podcast is about. Sounds sexy to me. Uh, and then we have our third Blofeld mm-hmm. in this movie, Charles Gray. And you might recognize him because he was also the informant Henderson and you only live twice. I do not recognize him, but I will take your word for it. Yeah, I did. So yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> you also have it in your notebook. Yeah, I do. And we have our fourth Felix Flyter. Felix yeah. comes back for the first time since Thunderball. Norman Burton. I can never tell if it like I don't know whether it's like Felix just doesn't have any impact on me. Like, but I can never tell. Like any time he shows up in these movies, I just assume it's the same guy. <laughs> I, it doesn't like for everybody else. It registers as a different person, yeah. but for like Felix, it's like okay, sure, white white dude. <laughs> and then we also have Jimmy Dean. Yes, yeah. Willard White. Yes, folks, it is Jimmy Dean, the Sausage King. You guys have been waiting for him. Yes. 
he is here. You have eaten Jimmy Dean sausages for years, and now you can see him in your movies. Mm -hmm. He was also a very, very famous country singer uh, at the time working in Vegas. They saw a show while they were doing research, and he, uh, Broccoli was like, that's our Willard White. <laughs> that's our Willard White right that, there. That, that's our, that, that guy, Jimmy Dean, Willard White. Put him so, in. So one of the things that Jimmy Dean was very anxious about in this movie was that he's kind of playing what is, in essence, kind of a parody or a send-up or an homage to Howard Hughes. Yeah, yeah. But Jimmy Dean was working for Howard Hughes at the time because he was playing the Desert Inn, which Howard Hughes owned. So he was very worried that he was going to get fired from Howard over this movie because mm -hmm. he felt like, oh, what if what if Howard sees me and he thinks I'm like making fun of him? Right. So right. that sort of thing. But uh, he ended up taking the role and had a grand old time with it. Uh, and then finally, I just want to mention our uh, henchman of the movie, mm. Mr. Kid and Mr. Wint. Yes. Uh, we have Putter Smith as Mr. Kid. He was uh, not an actor, uh, but he was a jazz musician that Guy and Saltzman saw in a jazz club in L.A. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, they were looking for kind of the idea for these characters. They're one of the few that actually come from the book. Uh, is that they wanted them to kind of be this Peter Lorre, just kind of that weirdness to them, that right. kind of odd look. Uh, and so that kind of, he just, his look was like, that's what I very, want. A very distinguishable henchman. Uh, yeah, and so, and then the other man... Is uh, a Mr. walrus. <laughs> well, no, the Puttersmith is the walrus. Oh, he's man. the walrus? He's the walrus man. Okay, because uh, the other guy's kind of Peter Lorre looking. Peter Lorre, yes. Yeah. So Bruce Glover, uh, which was originally uh, written and uh, offered to Paul Williams, right. uh, who was a very famous musician as well, did the music for the Muppet movie and Phantom of the Paradise and stuff like that, but uh, Bruce Glover. Uh, and so when they were just talking on set, even though it wasn't written this way, uh, Bruce and uh, Putter decided to ha put the characters having homosexual overtones uh, throughout <laughs> the film. Um, what? I mean, I'm not laughing at... They're like, all right, we're going to make this bold decision. Yeah. And I'm going to spoil something right off the bat. They hold hands. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty much all they do. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, which I mean, I guess maybe back then it was like, we're, we're yeah. going to go for it. Um, also, and without getting into these guys too much on my end, uh, but they were inspiration for two villains in uh, Codename Kid Next Door. Yes, they were. Which is one yes, of those things, were. which, you know, how you see something as a kid and then you see it older and you're like, oh, that's what that kid show is making fun of. That's yeah. ha that happened mm -hmm. during this for me. Um, so, yeah. So they decided to, again, make it a big American shoot. Not only were they going to film traditionally as they did at Pinewood Studios mm -hmm. in, in Britain, but they were going to do a lot of shooting in Vegas. And they would also use some sound stages in L.A. Actually, go to Hollywood. Oh, okay, to cool. Uh, so the Vegas shoot itself was six weeks in Las Vegas, uh, and everybody gambled. Everybody on the set, as you do, gambled. Uh, the the art designers, including Ken Adam, uh, were there for research to kind of help build their sets at Pinewood, and they said that they just lost a whole bunch of money. Uh, Connery basically was up twenty four seven. He was gambling. He was going to all the shows. He was doing his weekly golf game, uh, and well as well as uh, you know, making sure he was actually shooting this movie. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he was actually late the set because he had one big on the slot machines and was making sure to collect his winnings. Uh, and before we just get to the the actual movie itself, there's just a couple pretty few production stories I thought I would share. I'm always ready for them. All right. Anybody so die? No, not in this one. Ah, shoot. Uh, and what's the point? What's the point of making a Bond movie? So first of a all, Bond I want to mention picture. that in early in the movie, there's an a, American a Bond. kind of mud bath sequence. Yes, yes. Um, and 
to get this consistency for the bud, they decided to use mashed potatoes, <laughs> which seemed like a good idea on paper. Yeah. But when they were underneath the hot studio lights oh. and out there all day, no, it started to get very, very <laughs> baked, very baked and <laughs> a little bit smelly, a little bit not good to eat anymore. And, uh, to, and to remember, a guy had to be really dipped in this stuff. Yeah. He had to be like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's like put some get some bacon and chives on that. Yeah. Then you have yourself a bond potato. <laughs> I'm sure that was you're very proud of that. I, uh... <laughs> Continue. The biggest story that comes out of this movie, though, is the famous car chase through the city streets of Vegas. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, to shoot a scene like that, you kind of have to shut down the Vegas streets for a little bit, you know, to kind of move your way out of the way, not get people involved, that sort of thing. You can't just go shoot a movie and and not get any permission. Uh, And in terms of Vegas, since it is, you know, it's a town that's up all the time. You know, there's never a dull moment. What happens in Vegas, you know, stays in Vegas, that whole nonsense. Mm -hmm. And so there was a little concern from United Artists. It's like, are we going to have to bend an arm and a leg to do this? Well, they didn't. And it was thanks to one man, Howard Hughes. <laughs> okay. So Howard Hughes um, had a lot of pull in the town. Mm-hmm. And so basically, as they kind of said, you would hear word from the penthouse, which meant word from Mr. Hughes. It's like, yeah, you can shut down all the streets. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got the police in your corner. I've got the city in your corner. You got no worries. The only thing that he asked for was from this point on to get a 16 millimeter print of every new James Bond film that was released. <laughs> oh, man. Cause this he's, is, he's playing hardball. This is post-Aviator Howard Hughes. Uh-huh. So this is like... There's a famous story that like whenever he was in town in Vegas, you could tell because on one station, he would always make them play this movie called Ice Station Zebra. He was kind of that eccentric person mm-hmm. in real life as well as the Scorsese movie. So he did, in fact, get uh, Bond movies for the rest of his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so... They end up doing that scene. It's working very well. Everybody enjoys it. But there's that big stunt they need to do uh, of the car on its side. Yes, absolutely. So the actual car coming up on its side was shot on a soundstage in, in L.A., mm-hmm. uh, at Universal, actually. Um, but they needed the shot of the car on its side going down the strip. So they shot it the first time with a second unit. And when the dailies came back, they really realized that it, you could really see people watching. And like police in the background and stuff like that. And it didn't, it just didn't look real. It looked kind of like a stage thing. Mm-hmm. So Broccoli and Saltzman are like, Guy, you continue with you doing. We'll get an American crew to just finish the shot. No worries. Problem was, the American crew couldn't get the shot done. They just couldn't get the car to stay on its side adequately. And it looked really silly. Mm-hmm. So Broccoli and Saltzman are like, All right, fine. We'll get a French crew. French are good at stunts, they can, they can handle this. The French crew does it perfectly, but the wheels are on the wrong side. <laughs> so in the movie, if you notice, there's that shot where oh, like no. the, the car kind of moves to the side. Mm-hmm. like, And that was just Guy Hamilton's decision to fix because the car was going to come out on one end. They couldn't do another take of it because they had to get the movie out. So car goes up on its like left wheels. They just shoot the Bond doing the turn in the car, comes out on its right wheels. So Well, there... Hmm. I'm gonna. Th- there's actually a little bit of evidence 
of of that weird transition in the movie. Yeah. But I, I'll get to that when we get into the movie. Uh, and then finally, the last thing is that they they the oil rig in the third act mm-hmm. uh, was um, on a, a kind of a mobile oil rig uh, in on the coast of Oceanside, California, that they rented. Mm-hmm. And there was this big, obviously, explosion that's going to happen at the end of the movie. So guys, like we're gonna do one more run through of this, and we'll then we'll do the actual explosions. The assistant director mishears him and decides that this is the take that all the explosions are gonna go off. So indeed, they they're like, okay, we're gonna do the run through. We're gonna make sure everybody knows where they're going. And action, things start exploding. Uh, luckily enough, one of the cameramen in the helicopters was like on his game and just started shooting and so a lot of the, they, they end up getting a lot of the stuff but the immediately the assistant director was so apologetic and guy was noted as someone who under pressure could remain calm so mm-hmm. he's just like don't worry i got this i'll handle this he didn't know at the time that they got the shots and the director the assistant director was making all these excuses of why it happened and he eventually said oh, you don't know the pressures of being an assistant director it just you know sometimes you can miss and it's like guys like I was the assistant director on the African Queen. I was the assistant director on the Third Man. I know the pressures. Mm-hmm. I'll handle it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that made that that guy feel a lot better about himself. Right. And uh, that's pretty much it. Wait, that that was it. I honestly thought that 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 that's that's that story. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were building up to something. No. <laughs> no. Really. Other than that, there's really not much. I have to, to say. call you out on that one. Yeah, that one was kind of lame. <laughs> like you're like, all right, all this was going on, and the guy was like, he's like, listen, it's like I, I don't know what's going on. And guy Hamilton's like, I'll take care of this, and then you're like, isn't that funny? <laughs> that was the story you told. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what it was. Can't go back. Yeah, I can't. I guess, no. I guess you can't. I mean, that was, that's really all there is to say about the production of Diamonds Are Forever. The the American Bond. But still, not really, yeah. not really, because we still didn't. So it, wait, hold on. But I think you're missing a big thing. Is this the fir- this can't be the first American British or not American? What am I thinking? Um, like like a big kind of like American co-production type deal. I mean, to an extent, mostly because I mean, United Artists has been involved in all these movies. Okay. This is probably the one that United Artists has gotten involved with the right. most, because really, when you look back at the history of this franchise, um, they were a little bit cautious with Doctor No, mm-hmm. and then they were a little bit more into From Us with Love. And by the time Goldfinger the round, they're basically like, "Do whatever you want. Like, we'll just give you the money." Mm-hmm. Um, well, I just mentioned that because we just got off of. Our previous Godzilla movie yeah. was the first I would, big I would say American. Though, I would say though that yes, this is probably the first time that United Artists is, is, is most involved, and it's really like it's the first time that I think we're that, seeing American influence, a, a, an American influence on yeah. the Bond. It, it has because that these films were doing gangbusters, even when, like I said, when uh, on Honor Magic Secret Service did a lower bound of numbers, it still was the highest grossing film in the United States that year. Mm-hmm. And, and so they really were just like, these films are hitting off in America. Let's just embrace that. All right, let's get into this. Diamonds are forever. Hey, listen, you can't do this to me. Stop that. I've got friends in this town. Exceptionally fine shot. I didn't know there was a pool down there. I think a lot of my attitude towards this movie could be summed up in a statement that I had in my mind earlier in the movie, but then much later on when the movie was done. Mm-hmm. 
And that was when the credits started rolling. I said, they made 20 more of these. <laughs> it is, and it is, it is baffling to me. And and here's the thing. I didn't hate this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, ha- I have some thoughts. There are things I love. There's some things I didn't love. But this is really getting into the spirit of this podcast. Yeah. Is that... There, it is astounding to me that this franchise has lasted as long as it did. Because, and I know that there's going to be some new stuff going on, but I know, like, th- this is pretty much like the the gist. <laughs> like, I mean, to, to to have a general overview, this is a pretty good precursor in what we're going to be, yeah. or the the direction that the Braun Braun franchise is going to take. Yeah. in the next couple movies. Yeah, this is really kind of a kind of a good indicator, and for me personally. This was a lot better than I remembered it being. Right, but know? it's like because this, this when you had, think yeah, about when you think about strictly, and this is what's fascinating when you look at actual film history. Uh, when you look at you know what people complain about in movies, and and we've talked mm-hmm. about in all these reviews that people complain about the same things that they did back then that they do now. So that that's not changing. But when you think about what people complain about the trends of current franchises going on right now, you go back and look at Diamonds Are Forever, which again isn't a god-awful movie but isn't the type of movie where it's like it's gonna spawn 20 more movies (laughs) like it these are franchises that should for really if you put logic to it should have been dead a long time ago (laughs) there is like a really simple explanation though like the the more i look into this franchise the more we do this podcast and the more i kind of relearn about the productions yeah there's a very easy answer to why these films continue and what what would be two your... there's two reasons one is that broccoli just wants to do them yeah okay so so, so, so when they're privately uh not private well i guess yeah they are privately I mean, basically owned. it's like yeah. it's all eon does all eon was set up for yeah was to do the bond franchise mm-hmm. and to an extent saltzman still wants to do these movies but it's really broccoli's vision that he has this franchise with a bunch of books that's going to continue forever mm-hmm. and ever and ever and i mean to an extent it will be but the real reason is especially on this early going is that for being blockbusters that made you know hundreds of millions of dollars they had really low budgets mm-hmm. like the budget for this yeah, movie was that's 7 true. million dollars yeah like like i said for last time you know, honor majesty secret service was by all accounts a way lower intake mm-hmm. but it still only had an 8 million dollar budget so making 63 million is right. You know, it's easy money for everybody involved. That's comparable to what I was thinking earlier today about this and the Godzilla franchise. Because the Godzilla franchise, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around how the money about those movies works. But it seems that they are producible. It's not like, you know, they're putting money into it, but it's disposable in the sense of like, yeah, let's make another one. And and, and to an extent, it's like it's it's similar with Eon and Toho. I mean, like Toho did other monster movies, but they're set up at that point to do monster movies yeah. and it's like they have fun doing them they enjoy yeah. doing them they enjoy continuing the work and they with know these what characters. place they take it, in right, the exactly. entertainment and it's, yeah. just, it's, but, just, it's the same thing with, with broccoli it's just broccoli eon and broccoli are there to make bond movies mm-hmm. if they don't make bond movies they don't have anything right and so and that's he, like i whole, have but i on a cultural aspect i have a more simple answer to why i think that these franchise this franchise has lasted especially after watching this movie these movies are stupid. <laughs> These movies are so bonkers at times. Like, this is the reason you don't get... This is the reason nobody remembers Jack Ryan. 
Like this is the yeah, reason why I'll we keep on disagree with yeah, you. Yeah, this is the reason why we keep trying to make Jack Ryan happen, Jack Reacher, like anything well, Tom I mean, Clancy did. The reason like nobody cares about it as much as Bond. I know people care, but the reason like they're not Bond is because quite frankly, they're not stupid mm-hmm. like this like this movie. <laughs> and this movie is I would say that it, it's it's ultimately okay. It's fine. There's things I there's things I don't necessarily love, but when we get into the third act of this movie, I'm like this is just crazy. <laughs> like what? Oh my god. Like yeah. it's like it, it like was so satisfact, so satisfactory, and so baffling simultaneously. <laughs> the shit that was going on in, in the end of the in the end of this movie. I, I think we should say quickly, like what what's going on in this movie. Yeah. So Connery's back. So Connery's back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, in a very busy opening sequence. Right. He basically quote unquote kills Blofeld. That's yeah. like what happens. Well, like he's we, searching for Blofeld. This was also after he uh, was uh, choked a woman with her uh, the top of her bathing suit. Right. To get information. Yeah. What was the line? I need to get something off of your chest. <laughs> the jokes are with the thing. Yeah. But yeah, so they kill. I mean, so that was the the first well, thing. And, and then in that sequence, he also says, there's a guy at a poker table who says, hit me. And then Bond oh, hits yeah, him in the face. Yeah. So there's, there's that. Too. Uh, so he, he, he goes up with um, to our new Blofeld and, uh, and kills him. And, and it's not necessarily a morbid way, but it just seemed kind of like one of those things like we often forget. Like, you know, Bond, they don't shy away from the fact that Bond is, for lack of a better term, an assassin. Yeah. So it's like... It could be cold-blooded at times. Right. So you're so used to these movies being like, oh, we got to capture the guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, Bond is like, whatever opportunity he arises, ha- he's going to take it to kill this I mean, guy. he has a license to kill. That's yeah. a major part of his character that's been established since Dr. No when he killed the professor. And he, and he kills Blofeld. Which, as you said, is our third Blofeld, right? Third, third Blofeld. Yeah, third Blofeld. Technically fourth if you go with the hidden face Blofeld, yeah. but f- the third faced Blofeld. Yeah. So he, and, and, and it was funny because it opened up with, uh, you he the guy's getting like some sort of facial change to him. And you think it's Blofeld, but it turns out to be another guy. And the insinuation is that Blofeld was maybe going to change his face or something. That's what I took from it. Yeah, or but I, I, thought, I think it was going to change his face, but he was also having other people take over his face. Yeah. And so I kind thought, of both. but I thought it was going to be like, Oh, is that like a clever nod to the fact that he's been different people yeah. or he's looked different, yeah. which I thought was like, Oh, that, that could have been cool. But then yeah, Bond just pushes Blofeld into, into, like, into boi- a, like boiling mud. Yeah. Into, into ma- magma mashed potatoes, magma <laughs> potatoes. He pushes them into magma potatoes. It makes him a Blofeld uh, potato. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. A baked care. Blofeld. <laughs> um, um, so yeah. So, I mean, so that, that opens up. Um, and, uh, what I did like about this movie in general, and this shows it in the first part of it is that they really, as you said, Connery's way better in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a bit more of a he's kind of back performance in, in, to it. In yeah, that, he's in, in the groove again. He's in the groove that he was, in like, uh, you know, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. He's kind of yeah. back in that element of like what makes him, you know, to many the, like the best Bond and that like that so iconic of a exactly. Bond. He, he's really back in that role, and it, you can just tell it's like it. It people say that this is like the worst of the Connery movies, and I can't justify that in my head because his performance is way above what it was in you only live twice yeah and it adds so much to the movie it makes he's so watchable as a bond and just his mannerisms his swagger everything about him 
is just it's bond to an extent it's well, like i go what back to that one scene uh one, one of the many scenes really in um the last movie he was in where he just looks bored mm-hmm. like he looks disgusted and bored visibly many times yes. during the movie and this he looks and but what i was gonna say is like they really sell because he's in the groove of it and he seems a little bit more into it is that they showcase that he's like a fighter and he knows how to use gadgets and mm-hmm. like he and he's smart and he's like yeah. a he's an actual proper right. Again, secret that, agent that, that bond that I fell in love with in Goldfinger and from Us with Love that kind of he's physical he he's investigative he's trying to figure out the steps of the case all that sort of stuff. The favorite bonds are the investigative bonds. Yeah. And there's an element of that when he's trying to really figure out what is going on with these diamonds. There's many forever. times in this movie where he just casually strolls into a place uh, you know under the guise of, of somebody else and everybody believes him, which is something a lot of people say. It's like if you have like you can kind of stroll into wherever you want if you have like the utmost confidence mm-hmm. of yourself and you don't yeah. like let so. But anyway, I guess like I, I just kind of want to get through this real quick because it's kind of straightforward even though like all bond movies convoluted and complicated but it's essentially like there's like a some some somebody wants diamonds there's, they're there's stealing di- diamonds there's diamonds smuggling but none of them have appeared on the market yeah so, so they're just trying to figure there, out where there's they're going. like a couple things they could yeah. be worried about but bonds just like it, it could affect this is could affect the government it's government business get out there find those diamonds yeah um find those diamonds find those diamonds bond um but uh so th- there's two Kind of, I usually save like there, there's a couple of like WTF moments in yeah, here. There's but, a lot of but, WTF, but, there, but I did want it because this is right at the top of the movie, and I just kind of wanted to get them out of the yeah. way. That is kind of a little bit of me being like, God damn it, this franchise. What mm-hmm. what is this franchise? So maybe it's three things, but the two first things is like so it's M, another guy in Bond. Yes, and they're talking about like the it's like the owner of like the Diamond Company. Yeah, Mister Diamond. Yeah. Uh, so Bond comes into M and Mister Diamond, and Bond is like basically waxing poetry on on uh, some brandy or some yeah. whiskey or some or yeah. something. Um, and like he said, he knows everything about it, like just based off the smell, you know where it was made and everything. And then everybody's like, the year, yeah, the 1851. year. And then he's like, and he's like, but actually, it's, it's it's this if you take this into consideration. So then he goes through all that, and they're like, well, what do you know about diamonds? And then and then basically they try to extend it out, but he doesn't know shit. Yeah. And then so which begged the question, and I wrote it down this way. I think you would appreciate this. Is Bond smart or is he just an alcoholic? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> because not, not to spoil many anything, times but... he knows such a basic level of things that he should know because he's a spy based off powers of deduction that I'm sure he learned from spy school. But the only thing he seems to, the only thing these movies ever seem to do when it like shows how smart he is, is when he knows just, like what certain whiskey. He's I mean, I drinking. think Bond would say that he's not an alcoholic. He's just very passionate yeah. about the world of. Of, of 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 liquor and that is the first sign of somebody who needs to go to aa and yeah. far as far but as but i will admit and we'll get to this a little bit later it actually does pay off it does it, it does. not really though it doesn't pay off to like the plot it pays off in an epilogue that yeah they but did. I, mean, I mean it pays off it does it does i will off. agree that that payoff would not have worked if it wasn't in there but it kind of did because this is the second time where it's like are you smart or, or do you just like to drink um also, next thing, Money Penny. I'm sick of your shit. <laughs> Bond and Money Penny. I'm sick of this. Well, you know, it's well, not cute. It's not funny anymore. And shut up. It was kind of the sweetest thing that happened to this was in the last movie with Lazenby. 
and like their whole kind of yeah. like their whole bit together. But that, no, I'm done. Done. Well, you'll have until Casino Royale I to know. get used to it. <laughs> it's just oh my god. I'm hoping. I'm really hoping. I'm praying that you find another one that you actually enjoy. It's not. It's it's like it's not endearing anymore. Like he's just being an asshole, and she's being like just way too thirsty. It's it's stop. I'm done. Done with this shit. Anyway, so yeah. And then there's the two gay bad guys, which they hold hands, and I'm like, oh yeah, they're, I guess well, they're I mean, gay. And the other one, big one, which apparently was an improvisation, uh, was, was when it's like, oh, she, uh, Mr. Chase is attractive for a lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, ah, ha, ha, I'm a walrus. Um, so, yeah. They, they always say each other's names. Yeah, well, that's how I knew that they were based on, they, well, the... Yeah. Bad guys from Kids Next Door yeah. were based off of them because they they did say their names. Uh, so yeah, so Bond so, so Bond ends up heading to uh, Denmark. To wait, wait, I'm sorry. I, I was just looking over my notes because this is probably the only time I get to say it. But based off of my alcoholic thing, at one point in this movie, Bond is like following a girl, Miss uh, Pussy O'Toole or whatever her name Plenty is, Plenty O'Toole. O'Toole. He's following Plenty O'Toole And then she's like Oh you should come into my room And he's like No no thank you And he's like Well what about a drink And he's like "Mm?" And then it cuts up He's in the bedroom This guy's an alcoholic (laughs) Anyway sorry Go ahead Continue So to get get through the plot (laughs) Yeah So he goes first off To Copenhagen Or Amsterdam What city in Denmark Basically (laughs) I forget which one it is We're cultured (laughs) Yeah I just forget which one it is Yeah 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 Uh, And uh, Portrays a man Peter Franks to kind of get closer to one one of the smugglers, Tiffany Chase. Yeah, uh, Tiffany Case, who is our main Bond girl for this motion picture. Yeah, that um, was another thing where it's like, God, God damn it, this franchise where it's like, you know, they're they're especially because they kind of start this out where it's like, oh, like this is somewhat of a capable woman, and then she just basically yeah, becomes C three PO by the end of the movie. This is one of the most like. <laughs> Of like this these, is odd. Yeah, this one was odd because at least with the other ones, even when they were really bad, like in Goldfinger, there was like at least an element of oh, this is how it happened. Right. right. Even even when like pussy gets pseudo raped or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, like there's like at least I can think about what that was in their heads. Yeah. But this one is like first scene. That first scene between them I actually really like. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of the dynamic. She's I would kinda, say she's pretty decent throughout. I would say half the movie. Yeah, I mean, honestly. like, there's initially there's this thing, and, and like, I guess to an extent, I can kind of see where she's kind of this seems like she's like this smaller time smuggler that's kind of gotten involved in something much bigger than she realized. But it's it's one of the most like striking like differences in character where she just becomes like. What's gonna happen to me? You're right. I'm gonna go to jail. Well, even even Bond. worse than that later on, like late, like by the third act, she's completely inept. She's like she she can't do anything right by the like she's a boy she's an idiot like by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I want to save some of that third act stuff for a little bit. Like later, she like, got knocked in the head and was a borderline moron yeah. by the end of it. It, but, it was. But, I mean, I did, like, I, like like a lot of these Bond movies. I mean, and this is something you've pointed out. I've kind of see a lot more. Like the first half, I I really enjoyed like their dynamic with each other. Right. Especially like I said, especially that first scene. Like she's she's someone like there's a way to do like the sexuality of a character and she's like not afraid of it, mm-hmm. which I think is a one way to do it. It's not like it's not like, you know, she's 
one way and then she just drops her pants. It's, it's like a, she, it's she, little, there's kind of like an element yeah. of that initially built into the character, which it's, I think works. It's a little bit have your cake and eat it too, where of course this is, you know, a Bond movie made by a guy who said in the last movie he did that the guy that the woman needed to be named Pussy mm-hmm. and as you says, basically has a rape scene in it. Yeah. <laughs> um or at least a questionably consented scene. Um and in this and in this movie um. Yeah, they give the the. It's it's weird. He, he the, Hamilton in the, both of these movies like not really well, but still toes that line of like this is a woman of agency. But yeah, it, but it's still gonna be like kind of like male gazy yeah. shit. Yeah, because it's like no, I agree. Because it's like of course like it works in the sense of like okay, she's using her sexuality because that's what she does and that's her thing. But it's a little bit of like yeah, but do you do you need a Bond girl to do that, whatever. I, don't, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, and we'll get more into that because but. it's just so. I think I have a problem. I didn't don't really have a problem with it, but it's 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 so showy. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like when the the first scene where it's like you know she's putting on her clothes. It's so like she's putting on different ways. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, slowly yeah. like that. And mm-hmm. um, the, the mention like basically so there is P, Bond is doing his investigative stuff, which again I think works. I yeah, think right. is is well portrayed in this movie. Oh yeah, no that that part's all great. Uh, and, the spy and, work in this is. Top notch, I yeah, think. It's, yeah, it's good. It's good spy work. Uh, top notch. Yeah, top notch. Mm-hmm. Good job, MI6. Yeah. You should take some lessons from from this movie. Yeah, in terms of your spy work, your you know. Or Jack that. Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Then maybe you would be better. <laughs> maybe people would remember you more. Yeah, sure. Uh, John Krasinski. <laughs> Isn't yeah. he Jack Ryan? <laughs> he, he's the latest one. Yes. Alec Baldwin was the first. Alec Baldwin. We've gone from Alec Baldwin to John Krasinski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. um, uh, so, but so he's impersonating this other criminal, Peter Franks, who escapes, and, and this leads to one of the more. What the fam- fuck is that? What is that? Oh, <laughs> it's like I'm sorry. There's something distracting me. I'll cut that out. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Peter, he's uh, Bond is impersonating Peter Franks, who is another criminal that's involved in this diamond heist, and mm-hmm. Peter Franks eventually escapes from uh, being captured so that Bond could overtake his identity mm-hmm. and which leads to one of the most notable and, and to an extent famous scenes from this movie the elevator fight yeah yeah, uh, yeah. what do you think of the elevator fight will uh good like i said i think that uh this movie definitely shows i think this is probably one of the more convincing bond as a fighter and like you know a, a super super spy yeah I, I think um and i think that they you know, there's still kind of like an oddly staged element to all these fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in the last movie we watched with Lazenby, they, you know, they did some cool stuff. But yeah, I, I was I was engaged. I was like, oh yeah, this is kind yeah. of a cool. cool no, I think like piece. I mean, this was a Hamilton idea because yeah. he just liked the idea of his idea was that they would be trying to do one of these big Bond fights, it, it, but it's because mu- it's in, but it's, it, because it's in a small space, to keep like smashing glass and like bumping into the walls. What's weird not- though is like you compare that scene to another fight scene that happens between Bond and uh, two lovely ladies earlier on in the movie. You would think that you were watching two different Bond movies because like <laughs> just the tone of it. Because like you're right, it, it's got like a real kind of like grit to it, and and like yeah. you said, and it it this Bond the scene ends up with. Um, she uh chase thinks that yeah. uh bond, like that the peter franks that he, ki- he so bond kills peter franks yeah and switches their ids so that when when tiffany looks into mm-hmm. who he was he's like you just killed james bond right. and this is actually one of my favorite acting moments from connery in the movie he plays yeah i know he perfectly. does it yeah because he, he basically right. like 
is that who that was? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you know, I guess not everybody's indestructible. Uh, not everybody is uh, indestructible. You know, indestructible. And it's like, she's like, no, wait, we got to go. Like, yes. you just you just killed James Bond. Mm-hmm. And I think he plays, I mean, and again, it's that confidence that you said that Bond can walk into the room and basically say that he's anybody. Because he takes a lot of identities in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is probably like the most identities, not only his Bond, but one, one of the more identities that any Bond takes in any movie. Yeah, and it's weird, and this is on me, that I thought that that was going to pay off more. Because it's like sometimes we get inundated with like, you know, plot lines like that paying off in like big ways. And But really all this is like in, like I'm thinking like we're going to get North by Northwest, but with but with Bond. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's just kind of like just setting the stage for him to be able to do his spy work and later on. And to be able on, to go yeah. to Vegas with these diamonds. Yes. With, with the diamonds in yeah. uh, Peter Frank's body and, in the coffin. And this starts out the first time I'm like, what is this? Like, the, the, the next like 15 minutes of this movie was like, what is going on? Because, so, the, they go to the exchange for the money and the diamonds yeah. where he goes to a funeral home mm-hmm. and, what, and it pr- proceeds to put the body in the casket uh into like into the like the little compartment that's going to get cremated or whatever yeah, the, like incinerator into the incinerator which i'm not sure that you incinerate the casket with the body as well but it, it depends it does depend on the funeral home wait or, really they yeah, do that they can do that wow. if they want. um but it's like but then there's like this nice like song playing while it's going on and the scene like, is like, like angels yeah like there's angels the chorus. scene is focusing on it like it's Spock's funeral from the end of Wrath of Khan and then <laughs> of all the diamonds I've ever known yeah they were the most and then they just human. walk away from it but basically and they're like and then basically the music just cuts and they're like well if there's anything else you'll yeah see. exactly can, you can grieve but, right in here but so that happens and then the and then Walrus Man and Peter Lorre come up and, <laughs> and the uh, and they knock out Bond and they put him in the box to put him in the incinerator. And then luckily Bond is like rescued because some guy, the guy, they find out that the deal went south or whatever. Right. And he's like, those weren't real diamonds. Those weren't the real diamonds. And like, oh, this wasn't real money. But basically what I'm trying to get at is like Bond's like, it's like, well, I'll figure it out. And he walks away and then the scene just continues. And I'm like, Bond was about to die. Like he was about to be burned alive and the movie just like well, well you know all in a day's work I he guess. was about to be burninated yeah <laughs> so um yeah so that 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 was that and then that kind of moves on into the next like big thing uh that that happens and that i'm like what the hell that bond goes to pl- goes gambling a little bit and we mm-hmm. and she meets uh plenty of boobs plenty of uh, yes. and, and then plenty. she's like and with and you the thing about her is like she's also kind of like idiot mm-hmm. woman but i guess they kind of like play it a little bit more comedically because she's clearly a gold digger mm-hmm. and they're like she, yeah. it's like oh that guy has money what, yeah. which i was worried because i don't know this movie i'm like oh is that going to be our bond girl where it's going to be like, like the actual bond girl yeah and i'm yeah. like uh, like uh, i don't know if i like that no. but they kind of make it more uh comedic than that at first she has this line is you handle these dice like a monkey handles coconuts which is like yeah you're an idiot <laughs> But so she goes up to they go up to the room. She like starts to strip and she's like, oh, give me a minute. And then the other uh, operatives from the CIA, I guess it is. Is it the CIA? No, oper- or, no, 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 it's not the CIA. Sorry. It's it's, um, the, it's the funeral home. It's the people that picked him up from the airport. That's like it's like the other gangsters that are involved. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with, like with the diamond smuggling. So they're hiding in the room waiting for Bond. And then Plenty comes out and she's like, who are these people? What's going on? And then they just proceed, I kid you not, to pick her up and throw her out the window. Mind you, they're at least 
15 stories high. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and they just throw her out the window. And then into, and she falls into a pool, and the guy's like, I didn't know there was a pool down there. Yeah, Bond's, Bond's like, uh, great accuracy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, perfect aiming. You see, the guy's like, I didn't know there was a pool down there. Yeah, yeah. So that's when I was like, oh, this, this movie's just, yeah. just Lana Wood silly. for that scene was because she they did like a stunt woman with the maid, the big fall. Yeah. Uh, but they were like, well, we're gonna get you close up so that we, you're just gonna you know fall in the pool. Yeah. And Tiffy's like, but I'm you know I'm gonna be in my underwear and you know is that gonna be people are is that gonna be weird? It's like and everybody's like, oh no, we're gonna film it at night. You know, nobody's watching these films at night. And yeah. It's like yeah, everybody's everybody's like yeah, that no, seems good. And then everybody forgets it. It's Las Vegas and everybody's up until the middle of the night. So I, everybody was watching her in that middle of that pool. I have a major question about this movie, but I'll, I'll save that for when we get to the end because I'm very curious on if you have any insight into this um, or if you have any opinions on the goofiness of this movie. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, mean, get, it's, I'll, it's, I'll ask the specific question I mean, It's later. interesting with Plenty because Plenty is kind of – it's funny because Plenty, I'll do it because the name is the one everybody remembers – from this movie, but she's not really in the finished product. Right. She had, she did have an extended plot line in the original filming yeah. that was kind of cut for pacing. Yeah, because basically the, the her whole point, kind of the the point of her character is that so Mr. Kid and Mr. Wynn are basically slowly killing off everybody that's involved in this diamond smuggling mm-hmm. case, and the original plot basically so basically. Later, they go to like Tiffany's Vegas house, which actually was a house in real life owned by Kirk Douglas, um, and find uh, Plenty chained to the bottom of the pool like mm-hmm. she's been drowned. And the, the idea is that she was mistaken for Tiffany by Mr. Kid and Mr. Wind and killed. And Bond's like, see, these people are trying to kill you. We yeah. got to figure out what's she, going on. She's here. a glorified plot device to yeah. like kind of like... Yeah. And, and again, that, that yeah. plot line was a little bit more extended in the original cut of the film, but they were just like, well, people are going to get the point of this and just this movie kind of slows down with her spoiler lines, so we're just going to cut it out. Um, Nick, does Bond walk through... The filming of the moon landing. <laughs> filming of a moon landing. But <laughs> yes, he movie? does. He does. He takes the moon rover. Yeah. Well, can yeah. beat before that. Beat before that. Which th- this must be. This is to me. I hope this was intentional because this is comedy genius. But he runs out into the set, which is two astronauts. Like you know, <laughs> like you know. Um, like you said, it looks like the the moon landing. So they're put. So two astronauts are putting like the American flag and down into the up moon set rocks and, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, and then so Bond runs out in the set, and then over the intercom, they're like, "Stop that man!" And then the guys in the astronaut suits proceed to go out after. Uh, they proceed to go after Bond, but they move really slowly. Like, like, as if they're on the moon, dude. You're not on the moon. Why are you moving slowly? Like, you're on Earth with regular gravity, so they're moving like no, and like Bond's just like running past them. And I was like, that is amazing. Like, either yeah. and then, su- then they also have a line where it's like, like this is like what is this is supposed to be a professional production or something yeah. like that. Like they're like, this is amateur hour. Yeah. Which, which is like kind of like, hey, come on, give that one guy credit. Like he fucked up getting that one guy, but he's really committed. So, so, um, it's like, so it's yeah. Like, so, but but Bond steals like the Moon Rover, which yeah. actually just functions like a normal car. has like a giant claw on it. Yeah, that he's so, like because the idea was like over. Hamilton was like he told Ken Adam who designed it like I want like the Moon Rover, but like more grotesque with like r- robot arms and stuff like right, that. So right. basically, yeah, it was kind of a combination of that. So Proceeds. Bond, yeah, to just drive it through a yeah. wall 
and outside where he gets this uh, chased through the desert in this amazing sequence where all like the the henchmen are just completely terrible at their jobs, including one guy. Which is like, yeah. I almost, now that I think about it, I almost kind of like it because it's like maybe not all henchmen, like maybe not all henchmen are like used to like getting into car chases. Well, especially these guys because these guys were just at this, some science lab. Yeah. Like, like, you know, posing as like these guys working for, you know, uh, the the uh, head of the hotel. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the White House. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, but yeah. So at one point, so these these henchmen are awful drivers. Yeah, like they just Bond keep tipping over. Like Bond's not doing any like. He's big in a tricks. moon rover. He, yeah. like he's, he's literally in a. I moon don't know rover. if we made that clear yet, but he's in a moon rover. They, like can't like really do much. <laughs> but he's like all Bond is doing is like making a left turn, and then the enemy's car just makes the same turn, but like flips over a rock. But then the best one is that. All Bond does is drive in a straight fucking line, just in a little, like, just in a little divot in the road, just drive straight through it. And he's, like, about, like, a couple feet away, and then a guy on a motorcycle just comes up, like, to the hill that was next to him, and then just falls off. Just falls off. But it gets better. Like, Bond didn't do a trick. He didn't do any, he just, the guy just falls off. It gets better, though. It's like, what is, Because, so the guy falls off his, it's it's like, it's actually like an ATV, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's like an ATV. He falls, he's falling off this cliff. He's trying to get back. Bond, like, basically gets out. The one trick he does is that he keeps the moon rover in drive, so these other guys are still chasing it, even though he's gotten out. Right. He comes back. This guy's trying to flip over. He's, like, struggling to flip over his ATV. He finally, like, gets it back up and is ready for the pace until Bond, like, just pushes him back off and steals the ATV. Yeah. It's like, that henchman is having the worst day. Yeah. And he's definitely dead after this. (laughs) Like, there's no way that he can just, like, well, better get my resume ready. No, you're dead, dude. You're 100% done. Like, I want to see a Stormtrooper like that in a Star Wars movie. Like, one that is clearly in this scene, just not good at his job. (laughs) Like, I know we joke about how they can't shoot for shit, but... I, I want to see like that level of ineptitude. Um, so, so basically, uh, so Bond thinks right now that it's um, uh, Willard White is kind of. Uh, <laughs> I keep wanting to say White Winter, but it's yeah. not. That's not it. I just um, kept on calling him Will Wheaton because yes. everybody was like WW. Yeah. It was like Will so, Wheaton. So basically, uh, and, and so he there. So yeah, so. Willard White. Uh, oh, Will- oh, real quick. Uh, in the uh, the the chase scene in Vegas with the when the car goes on its side, yeah. which was another thing. It's like, oh, this is the type of movie we're in. Yeah, like you're right. They are on one side. Yeah, going through like this tiny little alleyway, mm-hmm. and then it cuts into like the into the car. Right, looking the, the- at Bond and Chase. Yeah, but then the camera. Yeah, that, that's what I was talking about. Switches perspectives. Yeah, and then. When the car comes out, they're on the other side. Yeah. So it's like, no, the camera work doesn't justify. Yeah, that that was the, that mistake. That 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 was <laughs> yeah. As, as I mentioned before, that was uh, um, Hamilton's best fix because they needed an out to that scene, but they couldn't. No, you can't because it's like. Yeah. No, but what I'm saying is that it's it's still like a very obvious mistake. This is that, like that was the best fix that he could come up with. This is like this is like an alley that only Kira Knightley could get through. Like that's how small this is. Well, I'm just trying to give you an example. Like this is so I'm just saying a car could not turn that much in the thing. Anyway, so let, let's let yeah. we got it. We got to get we got to get going. So basically uh. <laughs> Bond thinks it's Willard White. Yeah. That's it, that's involved with this cuz it's it was his scientific facility. You know, all this stuff's happening in Vegas. He's kind of a Howard Hughes figure so he owns the White House Hotel. Yeah. And so Bond sneaks up to 
uh, the penthouse yeah. of the White House. And who does he find? And this shows that I am one of the dumbest people watching these movies. Because who do they find, Nick? They find Ernst Stravo Blofeld. And then, so Blofeld shows up. There's another guy who also looks like Blofeld. And then they were, and then they revealed, like, oh, that's what the operation was. So, like, you know, so he has decoys, basically. Yeah. And Bond is like, oh, my God, it's Blofeld. And I was like, oh, he seems really surprised to see him. I completely forgot that this movie began with him killing Blofeld. <laughs> so as far as Bond's considered, like, for some reason, I thought... I'm not kidding. Halfway through this movie, I thought we were looking for Blofeld, and I completely forgot that To the in the logic of the movie, he was already dead. Yeah. Any so. thoughts on uh, the new Blofeld? Well, this new uh, I think he's the best by virtue of he seems to be the one with the most thought put into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he kind of feels, like I said, like the last Blofeld, I don't know, like uh, it, it just... It was fine. Mm-hmm. Like this one, kind of felt more of like a like a big like villain. Yeah, more and more, more personality. More definitely. and more with these films, I'm realizing uh, that like I, I've had this thought. I kind of told you off off uh, off air, but I'll, I'll say it to the audience that Blofeld is the Boba Fett of the Bond franchise. In the sense that it's this character that... Eh, he does do more. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, to, but just in the sense of like, it's a character that everybody gives this like, credit for. And yeah. everybody like, oh, he's like Bond's main enemy. And like he's like this major iconic character. And when you like really look back at the movies, like he's not... Like, it's not like he's the Joker to Batman no. in terms of material. He's just like... Yeah. I mean, he, he, and the thing about Blofeld, it especially, it, it comes across because we have these three different interpretations is that there's really his defining characteristic is that he has a cat that's like the one (laughs) thing that's the one thing that they all share everything else about the character it's it's not you know it's it's, it doesn't really play as well especially like for me knowing like the great bond villains that are still yet to come yeah i for me i think the reason i like this blowfeld is because you know the the first time we see him well, the last time we saw him, he's just kind of meh to me. And in this one, it's a guy who seems it's an act the actor seems to relish in being like a villain. Yeah. And I always kinda like that. I like it I, when I the agree. actor comes in uh, and just knows they're the villain. And honestly, he's in more than the third act of this movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he may be the best Blofeld thus and, far. Uh you know, he doesn't look too bad in the dress. No, he doesn't. He cross dresses at one point in this yep. movie. It's uh that's strange. Uh, we got to get to the third act, so, uh, so but I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna just go through some 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 hot points to get yeah, through. Okay, so some hot points. And yeah. Like a brief overview of the third act. Uh, yeah. I mean, the I was just gonna say like other weird things that happen. At one point, Bond fights two women named Bambi and Thumper in a very very strange yeah. fight scene in which I believe at least a quarter of it is just the black woman named Thumper just writhing. In, and flipping and flipping and doing like, handstands and yeah. not like attacking Bond. So so uh, that that's a that's a yeah, weird. I have thing. some weird things too. Um, uh, a moment that I really actually liked. You had pointed out as a weird thing. I actually kind of liked. Uh, there's a little moment with Q and with Chase, and I kind of like the moment for both of them. Yeah. One because I kind of like it. This is something that I do like in Spectre, the most recent James Bond movie, is like kind of giving like the ancillary characters a little bit more to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like the scene is a uh, cue um uh you know at the uh, slot machines 
uh, and he's like winning all the money, but he's got like an electromagnetic ring. He's like, I've always wanted to test this out. So it's kind of like, oh, this is what Q does at his personal time is rob casinos. Um, <laughs> and but and then Chase is kind of having like this little. It's like, well, hey, am I gonna be okay after all this? I mean, I was helping with smuggling diamonds, but now I'm on the good. Like she literally says, so I'm on the good guy's side now. Does that mean we're all good? Which like, did they say anything? Did like did he say anything about saying anything to me, Felix? Right, anything like that? Which you know what? And I think I just like that moment. I get it. It's not very consistent with the character thus far. I should say this on out uh, is some of my favorite stuff and getting into my favorite stuff. Uh, I think we should just get right to it. They end up at the oil rig at yes. the end. And th- and from here on out, dude, was like, this is just like, this insanity. is amazing. This insanity. is insanity. Yeah. It's stupidity. Just one after the other. So they, they get there and then bond... Bond like enter Bond like gets to the oil rig in like a giant beach ball <laughs> like dropped from a helicopter and he learns about Blofeld's plan and then at this point you think Chase is on Blofeld's side but you know she's actually still just helping out Bond under the guise like I'm just going to be a sexy lady yeah. like doing doing your bidding. Which I mean is, is admirable. Yeah. So he goes so Bond he reveals to Bond he's like all right so the codes for you know for our laser Right, yeah. it's for yeah. the laser. Are in this cassette tape, mm-hmm. and we just have it running in the thing, and then and then it's like this big. It's not like a big, but it's like the villain's monologue moment where it's like it's like ah, see, we're gonna win, Bond, and then Bond's like very impressive. So let's just say if I went over there and ejected it, and he presses the eject button, and it falls out. But what makes this truly genius is that Bond, Blofeld, and everybody just stops, and they're like, uh oh, like. <laughs> No, and Blofeld's face drops. Yeah. Like, he but, has but, his, like, smirk smile on his face, and as soon as Bond presses the eject button, he's like, he's like a disappointed parent. Yeah. No, but to me, it's like, Blofeld is shocked. Bond, I don't think, knew that was going to happen. I don't think he knew, like, it was just going to be so easy to just hit the, the eject, eject button, button, and it comes out, which is also amazing that Blofeld's entire operation is just in in a cassette player. Yeah. And and then he's like, "Put it back, put it back." <laughs> like, what did you think was gonna happen? All right, so I want to get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk about the next moment that happens because this this moment <laughs> then, like then, made me explode. Oh, and at this point, they have a decoy tape. They have like a tape because basically yeah. he's been carrying the tape in like this marching band tape. Yes, and yeah. basically he has the real marching band tape that like he's gonna you know switch out or whatever. So Bond, like Tiffany, hands Bond this marching band tape, and Bond is able to. Uh, switch the tapes. Yeah. He's able to, to actually have it happen. But in, in a very like again, like the very, spy work is top notch, and it's very like it's it's um it, it's very effective. And yeah. you're like, okay, like he he succeeded. So then Bond's being led out, and basically like he hands he places the actual tape with the codes on it in Tiffany's bikini bottoms, yeah. which <laughs> she seems very like ooh like yeah, which it, I it, don't know if she like orgasmed into being an idiot because this is when it's just well, like I mean, who is this here's character the thing, though. I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put the full blame on her bond didn't need to give her the other that's tape. true <laughs> this, he, that's he true. succeated that's true. He wait, 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 wait we need to explain yeah. what happened so basically <laughs> like he's let out like she, he she puts he puts the tape in her butt and says oh your problems are behind you now yeah another great quip uh and so bond is basically kind of being beaten up and tiffany runs out and <laughs> tells him Oh, we did it. I switched the tapes out. <laughs> the bot's like, you idiot. 
that was the that was the real tape I gave you. I already switched it out. So then I'm I, la- I'm laughing hysterically Me at too, this point because it's like because this has got to be like this is amazing because th- this, this is like genius because yeah. th- this is like. And then not only does she do that, but she, like, comes out and she shouts at Adam. She's like, yeah. I switched the tapes. Like, we're home free. Yeah. It's like, no, you... But, yeah, I'm just going to go back to my point. Bond did it, not need to give her that tape. He could have gotten the tape back in his pocket scot-free. It was but, okay. Okay, so here, I'm going to ask... Uh, I'll, I'll wait one second, but th- that's got to be intentionally oh, of course, funny. Yes. Yeah, because because it's almost like a... Like, I mean, it's it's, in, it's intentionally funny and it extends the, you know. The, it extends it, it, but it's like flipping by way of flipping a trope. Because, like, in every action movie, it's kind of like, oh, he gives her the decoy tape because he did that in secret. And, you know, oh, and then everybody knows what's going on. But in reality, he didn't tell yeah, he, he didn't, didn't tell, tell her, her the plan. Yeah. He didn't, like, tell her, like, oh, this is what I'm going to do and like, fact, this his, is what this tape is. In fact, his quip, your problems are behind you now, probably hinted, like, oh, that's, you know, your problems are behind you. Yeah, Go ahead yeah, and put it in Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> So I mean, so basically, they go to the amazing. alternate plan, which is just calling in, you know, Felix and and friends, and basically blowing up the the oil rig until yeah. like before it, the laser hits Washington D.C. Yeah. But but I gotta mention, like during this scene, like I said, Chase is an idiot in the because I shouldn't yeah. say she's an idiot, but she's so inept. Like she did that. Which, again, is not completely yeah. her fault. But then she's going to help Bond because Blofeld's about to escape in a submarine. And Bond, like, basically stops him from escaping. Yeah, he hijacks the crane that's lowering him into the in, mm-hmm. into the ocean. And then she goes over to Bond and Bond gives her a gun. And then it's like, oh, here, use this. And she's like, well, what do I do with it? And he's like, just shoot. And then she's just shooting <laughs> like, yeah. to she nowhere. Sh- and she, then- shoots, she shoots and basically all the recoil causes her to go all the way across the deck. Right. And fall off. And, it, and the reason I said C-3PO, because it reminded me in Return of the Jedi when C-3PO gets knocked off the side of the sail barge. Like, she might as well just be like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like you said, like, the end kind of, they win at the end of the day. Yeah. He, because, he, it, well, they don't switch the tapes. It just kind of, nope. that happens a lot in these movies where they just kind of, like, basically forget to address the, these things. Well, basically because, like, at that point it's too late to switch the tapes back. So they're basically like, well... We're just going to destroy the we're whole thing. We're just going to destroy it. Like, yeah, we're going to okay. destroy it because it's going to be easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're just going to mention very quickly uh, at the end, um, you got the epilogue. Oh, the of, epilogue, yeah. Yeah, the epilogue coming back. So they go off on this cruise ship owned by uh, Mr. White. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mr. White. Mr. White. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Jesse Pinkman yeah. a, as, like, a, a henchman in these movies. Yes. Mr. Blofeld. Oh, my God. Heisenberg. Cranston as Heisenberg is the Bond villain. That's what I want to yeah. see. Uh, so, so basically, but it's revealed that Mr. Kid, Mr. Wint are still alive, right? And they're still going to go after Bond because Bond forgot them. Because and don't worry, because anybody who watched this movie probably forgot them at that point too. <laughs> well, and also technically speaking, Bond has never seen them either. Yeah, like he's like, every time that they've interacted with him, he's been knocked out. And this is the this is the scene that pays off the the his knowledge of alcohol because he tricks them into basically admitting that they're not actual. Because basically they come up with a like a uh, a free meal. Yeah, they're them. not actual chefs or waiters yeah. or whatever. Uh, it's, it's a bomb hidden. Proceed to the goofiest fight scene in which Walrus Man very awkwardly, slowly like lights up two kebabs and, and like tries to skewer Bond and Bond is able to light Walrus Man on fire in a very, like, that's very off-putting. Yeah. Like, this guy's just like, oh, no, And it's the, the second fire. man on fire in this movie. Yeah. 
Because there was another one when they were destroying like the Russian bombs or whatever. Yeah. That basically it's just all this guy on fire just kind of like walks on screen as like the lasers coming down. It, but then, but then Mr. Wint. Yeah. Uh, has to be killed. And how is he killed? Oh, Will? I, I should say he actually has a pretty good beat in the in that scene because mm-hmm. the walrus man is on fire and he gets knocked over the side and then like he has this moment he's like well he just killed he just killed my boyfriend but then he goes on to keep on killing yeah, bomb, but he has yeah. like this double take where it's like oh he, he just killed that guy but uh there was a bomb in the in the cake mm-hmm. so uh chase meridian <laughs> tracy chase whatever her name is she throws the cake at the guy because i guess that's supposed to do something revealing the bomb and bond takes the bomb Mm -hmm. straps it to the guy and then like does like this goofy pulls his legs through his crotch and flips him over like he's a fucking cartoon into the and then he blows up now here's my question nick which i had hinted at earlier Mm -hmm. my biggest question with this is how much of these movies is intentionally silly I think, especially with going forward, because here's the thing: that scene is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you got to go back to what Gold, Guy Hamilton said on on Goldfinger. One of the things I said about his perspective on that movie was that he knew he was making this kind of like it's all he he kind of saw this as this is all ridiculous, right? Yeah. You got these big super villains, these big lasers. You know, the the guy who wants to take over the world. And his idea was like, well, you have to take it with a grain of salt. You have to have fun doing it. Right. Because if you take it too seriously, it's it's not going to work. It's mm-hmm. going to be... It's silly inherently. Right. And I think that's what Guy brings to the franchise. Because Guy is going to be the next three... The next two Bond films after this as well. And obviously, those are going to be the Roger Moore films, which we'll get to next time. Uh, so, my, I mean, it. my final thoughts on on the movie. Um, I, I ultimately side on it's fine. I, I rated it in what we've watched thus far, and it was smack dab in the middle of all of them. Like, um, I think the third the third act, it, and the, like I would say, like the last third of the movie is goofy enough Mm -hmm. and like wild enough for me to be like okay like i I can have fun with this uh but the first half is kind of like you know whatever yeah yeah um this was a lot better than i remembered it as i said um this is this on a lot of on a lot of lists it's kind of getting into aftermath stuff but on a lot of lists people put this at like kind of the very bottom Mm -hmm. of the bond let's get into the aftermath um uh this movie released on december 17th 1971 in america first Mm-hmm. Actually, because again of the whole Americanizing of it, and then later in the UK on December 30th, um, it ended up making 160 million world, 116 million worldwide, which puts it under you know Goldfinger and Thunderball, but above You Only Live Twice, mm-hmm. and 43 of that was in the United States alone. So again, still very successful. Um, I do, I did have some reviews. It, the reviews were generally mixed, uh, but it's pretty, pretty much at this point we're kind of seeing kind of the same sort of things about these Bond movies is just people like either love the silliness or want to be more gritty. Mm -hmm. Everybody kind of agrees that uh, Connery is back to form in this movie. Um, But in lieu of the reviews, I actually wanted to take the aftermath to talk about two major lasts that we have Mm -hmm. in this Bond movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, So number one, this will be the last time until 2015 that we see Blofeld or Spectre in a James Bond movie. Okay, all right. Uh, And we have to thank our old friend the uh, producer of Thunderball, creator of Thunderball, uh, Kevin McClory. Mm -hmm. Because if you remember back to Thunderball, they had a deal 
that McClory would not be able to make his own Bond movie using the Thunderball rights Mm -hmm. for 10 years. So from 1965, 1975. For reasons we'll talk about in the next couple movies, they decide to move away from the Blofeld and Spectre stuff for a little bit. And by the time that they want to use Spectre and Blofeld again, um, McClory has now full rights over the Thunderball script and basically says, I created Blofeld, I created Spectre, that was all my idea. If you use them, I'm going to, you know, see you again mm-hmm. and basically to just avoid the litigation didn't really matter they decided not to to use those characters anymore so i just wanted your opinions will uh we were done with the specter era the blofeld era any final thoughts on on that element of the bond franchise because it, it is something that because you got to remember when specter was coming up everybody was like there was this excitement like oh we're getting specter again mm-hmm. we're getting blofeld and it's going to be back to kind of these classic bond villains mm-hmm. and it's just like you know, I mean, to me, like, Spectre in its best form was in From Russia With Love and even to an extent Thunderball, where it was kind of like the, the intellectualness of the, the organization, the mysterious kind of number one character, and you had kind of all these interesting, smart, like, henchmen and uh, kind of almost governors of, of different elements of Spectre mm. that, like, makes it really interesting and a really cool uh, opponent for Bond. I think once they gave Blofeld a face, it never really hit that uh, same. Yeah. No, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, the same kind of heights as at least from Rush with, from Rush with Love. I think is the height of the Spectre well, storyline. I mean, here's what I'll say: as it recently initiated to the Bond franchise, I did not know like Spectre was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know like that was like the Bond villain. So like when they were making Spectre, I mean, even when like Quantum of Solace came out, everybody's like, "Well, they're just using Quantum because they don't have Spectre." I was like, "Oh, is Spectre like?" Like a thing, yeah. Uh, and then, kind of like, in my opinion, when watching that, I mean, you know, it. Especially, you're right. When the most interesting Spectre has ever been was in From Russia with Love, mm-hmm. because, and I hate to be that guy where it's like, oh, there's a. Mi-. This is one of the things where I would agree that the mystery to it is kind of what is interesting. Yeah. But I think I mean, that they really, could have. Yeah. But I think they could have followed up on it in a more interesting, interesting way. way. I mean, um, I, I mean, part of the problem did. I think is like you just kind of started off the actual reveal of Blofeld on such a low level with Pleasance, who's by far the worst of the original Blofelds, I think, and the worst interpretation. I kind of... I see what you're getting at when you say, like, the Charles Gray is a great Blofeld. And I, I would agree that, like, Gray gets the most to do with the Blofeld I mean, role. that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, I still think Terry Savalas in uh, Honor Magic Secret Service is just the most interesting mm, of the Blofelds. Okay. Uh, just because of, like, his plans untraditional. I think, like, the physicality of him kind of makes him a more actual match for bond than like charles is gray blofeld is yeah uh but i mean i i i said my piece before about blofeld it's kind of like boba fetting it's like there are better bond villains i think and i i think that blofeld's put on its pedestal and not to get way too ahead but it actually makes me not have as it, it changes my perspective on the specter movie mm-hmm. so there's that i just wanted to mention that and then of course this is uh, the last official eon productions appearance of Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, Bond, or sorry, Connery and the producers, Hart, Saltzman and Broccoli, all kind of knew together that he was only back for one movie. United Artists did try to pitch him to do one more film, tried to kind of continue with one film deals, but Connery was just like, that was it. I wanted to get the money for the fund. I wanted to get these two films. I'm good. Uh, so I think we should just have a little bit of time to just reflect on the first Bond and the original Bond, Connery. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's no, one, that's true. One that a lot of people still held in high regard as, as the best and the first and the original. Um, so 
final thoughts on the Connery era of James Bond? Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that in my, again, uh, I think I've seen every Bond except maybe, I, I don't think I've seen any of the Dalton ones yet. Here's the thing about Bond. Bond, I think every actor has settled into the role, like, deservingly so. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I don't think, especially after seeing that one, I don't think that there is one astronomically better than the others. And again, I haven't seen all of them. But that being said, getting into this one, I think that there was a level of, it was good to see Conneray back. Uh, I think he does end on a high note give it, with a performance just because, even if, you know, movie aside, his performance in the last one he was in was just mm-hmm. no good. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of nice to see this movie to have a little bit more of like, you know, he has like fun with the role and he's like in it and he's, he seems uh, uh, engaged. And, uh, and as far as him going on, I definitely, the biggest, I would say the biggest um, thing I can say about Conneray is that I see why people like him the best. That's my biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, for me, because Connery was the Bond that I grew up with. Everybody kind of has their Bond that we grew up with. And to, to an extent, you know, Brosnan was the Bond of our era. Mm-hmm. So we kind of grew up with him as Bond. But the, in terms of the Bonds that I watched as a kid, the Connery Bonds, especially Goldfinger and From Rush With Love, were the ones I watched the most. Um, so Connery holds that kind of position in my heart. And sometimes it's hard to separate that. But I, I do believe that especially in those first four, and to an extent this one as well, it's just like he plays the role pitch perfectly in terms of that the coolness, the swagger, yeah. the suave. He is just like when I think of just the elements of Bond, that's just who I have in my mind. Mm-hmm. Especially like that black turtleneck Bond in Goldfinger. It's just like that is James Bond. And like the the kind of suit wearing near the end on the train, you know, that train fight and the, the, the rawness of it. And that's what I always attribute to the Connery Bonds is that there was a specific rawness to his interpretation, especially in those first three. The thing about me, and I'll say this going forward, this is for me and people who watch the Bond movies, is that the the one real shame about Connery, and you're right, it is kind of a shame in a sense that he didn't get to do Honor Match, he sees your service, because Connery's really, for as good as his performance is, he's the one Bond that never really got to have that emotional Bond movie. Right, Because yeah. every other Bond, Moore, Dalton, Brosnan, and Craig, and even Lazenby, all really get to, to mine the emotion of that character. And Connery does what he can, especially in stuff like From Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. I think he that's his probably of the films that he does is probably the most like emotionally driven for him in a lot of ways. But he never gets like his spy who loved me or his you know, both of Dalton's films or even his GoldenEye where like there's like a real emotional through line for him. Yeah. Whereas like I think every other Bond gets that chance. See, I think that there's three and this is the last thing I'll say because we've got to wrap up. Uh, there's three things. There, There's three categories. There's like the cool, fun, funny aspect of Bond. There's like the violent killer aspect of Bond. And then there's like the like the intimate emotional through line that they can apply to it. Yeah. And so far from what I've seen, every single Bond does two of those things. Hmm. Like, I think, like, because even with Lazenby, I think we get the funny and the charming one, and we get the emotional through line, but we don't get 
to me at least the trifecta of being like the rugged uh, Bond that Killer Con- that, that Connery yeah. does, and Connery does that and the cool stuff, but we never got. And this isn't the actor's fault. No. The emotional through line no. is the writing, and mm-hmm. to me, it's just like with all these Bonds, there's those three things, and uh, they don't always get Which, to do again. All three just of them. as my last thing, I, it's going to be really fun to continue on with this because I'll be interested to kind of show you the more emotional sides mm. of some of the bonds going forward. Um, there's so some moments and movies just in my, that pop in my head from all of the future bonds um, that I think will be really interesting to discuss in that manner. Cause mm. I think you're c- correct. And I think, um, I think there's maybe one or two bonds that really do get to try that triple threat and whether it works or not right. is dependent on how you view it, but it'll be interesting going forward. But as of now, I still really like Connery's performance, even in, you know, the, the the mess that's Thunderball. I think like again he holds that movie together, and uh, he should be you know he's a great actor overall. I mean he's also, yeah he, of the, all the Bonds he's the one that's kind slapping of slapping women aside. He's uh he's a pretty good actor. He he's the one Bond that's moved you know even above. People still see him as Bond, but he's also yeah, done true. a bunch. You know he's he's in Highlander and he's in The Rock and he's you know won an Oscar. You he's know, in Highlander too, The Quickening, which should. <laughs> be watched by everybody as like how not to do a sequel but well but he, regardless i think like i think what makes connery so much bond is that he's moved on from bond and he's been this oscar-winning actor and like this legend of cinema and yet he'll always be bond mm-hmm. and i think that just a testament to how he just fits that character in 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 the public mindset um yeah all right and so we can uh move on we're done with Connery. Yes. And we are on now to the Roger Moore era yes. of Bond. And our yes. next time... We'll Somewhat having, familiar with this era. So. Yes. We'll be uh, having um, a good time with Live and Let Die, mm. um, which I think will be very I, interesting for you to watch. I think I've seen that one. No. Maybe not. We'll see. I guess we'll be watching it anyway. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that is next time on the Bond side of things, Live and Let Die, and what are we going to listen to on the next time on the Godzilla thing? As I said last week, we are going uh, to the deep, where we find Abira, Horror of the Deep. Oh, uh, You know, it's, it's going to be really cool, because we'll be close to October yeah. in that episode, so, you know, horror... Yeah, Even, we're not quite in October. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's the second September it's episode. A, it's a stra- don't build up to another thing that's not going to pay off. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I'll find out if he's actually a horror of the deep or not. <laughs> um, all right, we're done. All right, let's go through where you can find us. If you want to send us our first email, yeah, you can send us at bonzillapod at gmail You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash bonzilla 7 facebook.com slash bonzilla 7 be sure to like and subscribe itunes and soundcloud all right sounds good i'll do that you guys should do that too yeah keep listening yeah all right are we good i'm good okay i'm well and i'm nick and we are forever forever (laughs) forever